And thank you guys, that was fantastic. Thank you so much. Welcome to North Village Church. My name is Michael and uh, one of the pastors here. Super excited to be with you here in person. And, and if you're watching online, man, we're excited to get into God's Word. I know we got, uh, what is it, Xavier Para, Isabella Para. I see you. I see you watching. Scooch over for that popcorn. It's good to have you. So excited uh, to be here, and uh, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at the, the series on the life of David, but last Sunday, we launched our Rise Up and Reach. It's our, it's our video, it's our vision to explore the opportunity of securing retail space for January 2021. We hosted our first Zoom meeting just last week. We have another one coming up on the 30th, and we're super excited about this opportunity. But as we talk about the big picture, we also we want to talk about the present and like where we are in the present. And so in the present, as of today, our first goal was to see, could we launch a live worship service? Right, we've never done anything uh, like that. And it's, it's hard to, to launch a live worship service. I asked a, a pastor, how much how much money should we spend on equipment? He said, at minimum, you're going to spend $15,000 with cameras and cords and mixers and online, all that stuff. Our team has done it for less than $5,000. Isn't that amazing? They're doing a great job. So our first, in the present, our first thing to tackle is, hey, could we do a live worship service? Check. Done. Second, could we do it in the morning? Our preference is to meet in the morning because we're just we're traditional, I guess. I don't know. You meet in the morning, but right now, Pillow Elementary, AISD, doesn't seem too interested in having us uh, meet there, and we can't find a, another location. So as of today, and this is all under the COVID clause, meaning that it could change at any minute, but as of today, we are going to stick with 4 p.m. Sunday Worship. We hope by August 15th that we'll have clarity from the city of Austin on the possibility of this building, clarity from our church family on the possibility of this building. But until then, we're going to press forward with Sunday worship at 4 p.m., our community groups, and our initiate groups. And uh, that's where we are. That's, that's the details of today. Uh, in our series in the life of David, last Sunday we looked at chapters 1 to 16 to see the hope for humanity is not the heart of David. Sometimes that's what's presented. It's not the heart of David. The hope for humanity is the heart of the Lord. And uh, in our passage, we're going to see uh, three subpoints in chapters 17 and 18, the famous passage of David taking on Goliath. We're going to see the love of the crowd. We're going to see the heart of Saul, and we're going to see the devotion of Jonathan. I've asked our very own Dustin Rogers to read our passage. Should y'all give a round of applause for Dustin Rogers. Dustin, come on up here. Read that passage for us. First thing. Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered. And Saul sent him over the men of war. And it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. It happened as they were coming, when David returned from killing the Philistine, 
that the women came out of the city of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul. With tambourines and with joy and with musical instruments, the women sang and they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul became very angry, for saying this displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. All right. Thank you so much, Dustin Rogers. You can take that with you. This round of applause. Everybody's so affirming. Thank you so much. That's fantastic. Hey, let me give you some backstory because we've been just tackling giant chunks of, of Scripture, and it's a lot to keep up with. In 1 Samuel, Israel has grown bored of trusting in the Lord. So they cry out for a king. Like the other nations, they're crying out for a king, and the experience goes horrible because they end up getting Saul, and Saul is tall, so he looks like a king, but the experience goes so badly. By the time you get to 1 Samuel chapter 16, the Lord has his heart on another man, and that man is David. And David is a nobody. He's just a sheep herder from Bethlehem, baby-faced. He's not a soldier, right? He's probably playing Minecraft, right? But the day before, he has to take on Goliath. And Goliath is this colossal, giant, tree trunk for thighs, like warrior who's just dominating people. This is the story of David and Goliath, right? It's not the metaphor. This is the real deal. And anyone looking at these two individuals on paper... They're going to see there's an obvious advantage that goes with Goliath, but the Lord isn't working according to our plans on paper, right? The Lord is working according to his plan in his heart, and that brings us to our first subpoint: the love of the crowd. The love of the crowd. In 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 to 5, we see Jonathan's interaction with David, and, and we'll get to Jonathan in our third subpoint. So let's focus on verses 6 and 7, because in verses 6 and 7, David has defeated Goliath, and the crowd goes wild, right? Look at verses 6 to 7, just to make us help us stay on the same page. It happened as they were coming when David returned from killing the Philistine that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. The women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Well, in 1 Samuel 18, we see the love of the crowd. I mean, it goes from Saul to David seemingly overnight. Right? It wasn't that long ago that the, the crowd is cheering for Saul, give us a king. And now they're cheering for David. And the love of the crowd in 1 Samuel 18 reminds us that the human heart is fickle. Write that in your notes, man. Human hearts are just fickle. And that's easy to see in our culture today. Like, I mean, just look at how we approached COVID-19. Do you remember when COVID-19 just started to percolate January, February? Maybe you had one or two people talking about COVID-19, and we would laugh. We would laugh at their faces. COVID-19, COVID-19, like it's no big deal. Well, that story has changed, right? 
And then March and April, we were convinced that we didn't need to wear a mask. Remember that? I mean, just think back. March and April, the suggestion of wearing a mask was laughable. And now everywhere I go, we got our mask. Heart so fickle, it bounces. In May and June, we were convinced schools would open in the fall. Who could imagine? Of course, schools will open in the fall. And now... We may never go to school again. Who knows? Our hearts are fickle. And it's not like our hearts just became fickle in COVID-19. We can't blame it all on COVID-19, can we? Remember when we were younger? When you're younger, you're convinced, if I could just get that next shirt, if I could get that next game, that next sparkly item, my life would be so fantastic. Everything's going to be amazing if I could just get it. And then what happens? It isn't long before we toss it to the back of the closet. So we get older and we think, well, you know what it is? It's that romantic relationship. I've watched all the Disney movies and all those princesses. They look so happy. It's about finding that special someone in your life. And you're convinced that's what's going to make it all better. And then you get into that romantic relationship and find out it's a lot harder than you realize. And so then you start to say to yourself, well, then it must be career. That's what I'm going to climb the ladder and I'm going to get the office and the title. And and then you're on Indeed. Dot com, like maybe there's another career, right? Our hearts are just fickle. And in 1 Samuel 18, the crowd gets the song all wrong because the hero of 1 Samuel 18 isn't Saul. The hero of 1 Samuel 18 is not David. The hero of 1 Samuel 18 is the Lord. How does a little guy like David take on a giant? How does a nobody overcome all the odds? How does somebody with zero military background defeat this warrior Goliath? It must be the Lord. It must be the Lord. That's what the song is. It's not David. It's the Lord in our lives personally. How do we not give in to despair as we walk through COVID-19? How do we not live for like every little article How do we not convince ourselves that our keen wit can do it and overcome challenges and struggles? It's the Lord. That's the story of our church family. How has North Village Church existed for 10 years? How have we bounced from location to location? How have we, our church family, been able to launch two other churches in our city? Well, it's not me. You know that. It's not our marketing team. It's not our, like, amenities of North Village Church. We know that. How? It's the Lord. And 1 Samuel 18 makes it clear that our hope is in the Lord. Our hearts are fickle, and our hope is in the Lord. Let's look at our second Subpoint the hatred of Saul. In the context of 1 Samuel 18, we also get to see King Saul and his response to David taking down Goliath. And you need to know, and you need to remember that King Saul had zero confidence in David taking victory over Goliath. In 1 Samuel 17, Saul is actually trying to talk David out of fighting Goliath like, this is not a good idea. Don't, you don't want to do it. And then David g- defeats Goliath, and Saul is like, oh, my gosh, he did it. Yeah, he's so excited. And then he hears the crowds singing, and it all changes. Look at it in verses 18, 8 and 9, just to recap. Then Saul became very angry 
For this saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Saul is feeling threatened by David. The green-eyed monster shows his head in verse 9. Do you know the green-eyed monster? It's not that guy. It's not Mike from Monsters, Inc. It's not that guy. It's not the Grinch. It's not Jim Carrey. The green-eyed monster is jealousy. In 1 Samuel 18, King Saul sees the love of the crowd shift toward David, and it drives Saul crazy with jealousy. As early as verse 11, Saul is trying to kill David. Moments before, Saul was literally trying to preserve David's life, and now Saul is contemplating how to destroy David. And we don't have to look very hard before we see the same pattern in our hearts as, as well. Right? In one breath, we are excited about the articles on COVID-19. Do you remember when COVID-19 first started, how excited we were to learn about COVID-19? We were, we were all getting our minors in epidemiology, like charts. You know, like, oh, it's so fascinating if you look at that. You know, we were just so excited. And now I hate articles. I tell, like, I tell, if you send me, I stop. Stop sending me articles. I don't want any more articles, right? Oh, we swing. In one breath, we're excited about wearing masks. You know, you should wear a mask. You do your part for the community. It's about, it's about helping others. And then, I don't know if you've seen it. I've noticed in me, like, I start hating the mask, and I start hating the community. Like, I don't know. Have, has any, have y'all been, like, called out at a grocery store where, people, where strangers yell at you? It's happened to me twice. I've been yelled at by strangers. And now I'm like, I'm not wearing a mask. Oh, just up and down. Our hearts are so fickle. And then and the hatred. Oh, I love it. I, I hate it. And it's not just with COVID-19. How many of us, we loved our careers. It's a great career. I love it. Maybe I'm doing my part in the community. I'm finally just, yeah. And then we see somebody, the slacker, the nobody in the company get the promotion. And then we're like, I hate it. I, I hate it. Why? I'm going to quit my job. Oh, it's up and down. We love the idea of marriage. I can't wait to get married. And then we see 20 of our friends from college get married, and we get cynical about marriage, and marriage is stupid. I see that in my life with science and medicine right now. Like, this is before COVID-19. Like, before COVID-19, if I was at the doctor and I got diagnosed with bronchitis and he gave me four prescriptions, I would leave the doctor's office thinking to myself, I bet I only need one. I bet I don't need all four. I bet I can do it just with one. And now with all the confusion around COVID-19, I'm like, do we know anything about science? Like, it's totally just up and down. That's where Saul is in 1 Samuel 18. Saul is looking at David's defeat of Goliath, and he's excited, and then he's threatened. He's excited, and then he hates. He feels vulnerable. He's stewing on the demise of David. Have you seen that in your heart? Have you had those moments where you're scrolling through Facebook trying to find that bully from middle school just hoping they're bald now or gained weight? Just like, ah, oh, it's like 30 years ago and you're stewing on it. 
That's where Saul is in 1 Samuel 18. And we see that same pattern in our hearts today, don't we? Where we just spike with excitement, like this is going to do it. It's all going to be better. And then sometimes, seemingly overnight, we're crushed. So what do we do? What do we do with the seemingly bipolar condition of humanity's heart? What do we do? Let's look at the devotion of Jonathan. Our third subpoint: the devotion of Jonathan. As we mentioned earlier in verses 1 to 4, we meet Jonathan. And Jonathan is just not an ordinary Israelite. Jonathan is King Saul's son. Jonathan is the prince. Up to 1 Samuel 18, Jonathan is somebody who's on the fast track for fame, fortune, family, future. I mean, he's he's going places. And yet, in 1 Samuel 18, Jonathan says to David, I'll give it all up to follow you. I'll give it all up to be under David's leadership. Let's look at verses 1 to 4 again, just to help us stay on the same page. Now, it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. And Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword, bow, and belt. Well, in verse 4, when Jonathan removes the sword, the bow, the armor, the belt. I mean, those are all artifacts of his royalty. Those are all artifacts of his position and power that he's the future king. And yet Jonathan forsakes them. He literally abdicates. He lays aside those things. He gets off the throne of his life and he gives his allegiance To David. Isn't that amazing? Let's just break that down. First, we see that Jonathan's soul was knit to the soul of David. That's verse 1. Jonathan and David should be rivals. Uh, Jonathan should be annoyed by David, but instead, he's knit his soul. This word knit, that's a reference of binding together for political purposes. Jonathan is looking at David and seeing opportunity. Very unusual. Binding together for political purposes. Now, it's possible that you had a professor or you read an article that when you see that in 1 Samuel 18, that that Jonathan and David had some kind of sexual uh, relationship, but that's just that's just silly. That's, I, honestly, that's condescending that they even make that implication because if it was two women knitting their souls together in love, we wouldn't blink an eye. But because our culture thinks of men as being shallow relationally and emotionally, the conclusion is, oh, it must have been sexual. But that's silly. It's silly because in verse 3, Jonathan doesn't just take an interest in David. He's not just curious about David. He makes a covenant with David. You see that? 
He makes a covenant. He's making a promise of loyalty, a pledge. I mean, keep in mind, Jonathan is coming from a place of power. David is in a is in a lowly position. Yeah, he defeated Goliath, but he's still a nobody. And, and at this point, Jonathan is forsaking his future position as king. He's overlooking his own father, and he's giving allegiance to David. Sit in that for a minute. I mean, in Jonathan, we don't see the fickle heart that we see in the love of the crowd. We don't see the, the hatred that we saw in Saul. But in this moment, Jonathan is giving his allegiance to David. And and ultimately, Jonathan is giving his allegiance to David's future throne. Stay with me on this. 1 Samuel 18 is pointing us to Jesus because Jonathan is giving his allegiance to David's greatest son, ultimately. right? Think of Matthew chapter 1. You think about geology, Matthew chapter 1, where do they trace that geology back? They trace it back to David, David's throne. And in 1 Samuel 18, we see Jonathan giving his allegiance to David, but ultimately he's giving his allegiance to the ultimate throne that comes in Jesus. I know it isn't fully expressed in the passage, but it's a model that we can, can, can see in our lives today. It's a model of abdicating the throne of our lives, like Jonathan. He has a literal throne, but we all have metaphorical thrones where we're the rulers and reigners of the decisions in our life. And in Jonathan, it's a model of abdicating our throne and putting our hope, not in ourselves, but in the greater throne. That's 1 Samuel 18 pointing us to Jesus. Isn't that good? I mean, how many more examples do we need in life for us to be convinced that we're not, we're not great at making decisions? We're not the best ones to rule and reign over our hearts. That our hearts are fickle. We're distracted and given to unusual highs and unusual lows. How many more examples? We give it to our career. Career, work is good. Genesis 2 says work is good, but it was never meant to be our hope. It was never meant to be our eternal hope. Marriage is good. Children's great. Politics, get involved in the community before Trump, against Trump. Doesn't matter. It was never meant to be our hope. It was always Jesus. So 1 Samuel 18, let us lay aside our thrones. Let us lay aside the the royal artifacts of our lives. Right? Think about what are those, what are those robes and, and swords and, and, and bows of, of our day? Is it, is it not the way we pursue power? Like the way we grip and we hold on to power? And what do we see when we try to pursue that power? We see swings of pride and swings of worry. We pursue autonomy. We convince that we're our own captains of our ships, masters of our fate. And so we swing arrogance and swing insecurity. Artifacts of security and finances and titles. What do we swing? Self-sufficiency and greed to self-loathing and hatred. It's exhausting. Therefore, let us abdicate our thrones. And let us commit ourselves to the throne of heaven, the ultimate 
throne, right? To the, to the clothed, to being clothed in his righteousness. That's what we have in Jesus. When we lay aside our thrones to pursue his throne, he clothes us in his righteousness. It is for our good. It is eternal security. It is to become sons and daughters of the most high. Why? Why? Why would we hang on to our thrones when we're offered the ultimate throne in Jesus, the heavenly throne, the King of kings and Lord of lords, right? When every other king is sending soldiers into the, into the fight, It's Jesus who runs into the pits of hell to conquer the enemy. There's no king like him. When, when every other uh, king is, is, is ruling by, by might and terror and, and fear, it's Jesus who rules by serving and suffering, drawing near to us so that we can approach his throne with confidence that we might find mercy in our time of need. When every other king is going to promise peace and freedom for a season, it is Jesus, it is King of Kings who promises peace and freedom for eternity. Have you done that? Have you abdicated your throne? Won't you do that now? Are you doing that in this season? Are you laying aside the, the artifacts of of your throne to entrust yourself to Jesus. And that's why we exist as a, as a church family. That's what God's word is confronting us with today, is to, is, is to put him first. Engage in a worship service. What an unusual time. Now more than ever, it is a time for us to knit our hearts to Jesus. Now at a time where there's not a normal flow, a break in our day where we go to a worship service or we go to a Bible study or we go to be around other Christians, it's all muddled. Now more than ever, we need to knit our souls to the soul of Jesus to get off the thrones of our lives say, Jesus, what do you want? I'm going to commit my life to you. So yeah, I'm going to engage in a worship service, be it in person or online. I'm going to open up the scriptures. I'm going to participate in confession and repentance in my need for you because you're the ruler and reigner of my life. I'm going to engage in the serving of others. Not because it's what I want to do. but It's because you, it's what you called me to do. It's what you know is best for me because you're the ruler and reigner of my life. I'm become vulnerable. I'm going to step off that throne and commit my life to you. That's what God's word is inviting us to today, church family. Whether you're in person or whether you're, you're online, that's why I'm here. And I want to invite you to do that. So I'm, I'm going to close us in prayer. And I just want you to take these, these few seconds, whether you're in person or whether you're online, and think about what does it mean to step off that throne in your life, to abdicate the rule and reign of your life and surrender your life to Jesus. I remember when I was, I was 30 years old. I was 30 years old, and I, and I, I found uh, my father had passed away. And it was a really difficult season in my life. Uh, I, was, I was newly married. I was 
I was having our first child and starting a, a job, and then my father's death, it brought, it brought incredible weight, financial strain, and, and, and I just remember getting really angry in that moment. And it, and it wasn't just angry for a moment, it was angry for like a year, and, and I don't know if people could see it on the outside, but I, I knew it on the inside, like I was angry at God, I was angry at my dad, I was angry at myself, I was angry at anyone. And then I don't know why, I don't know how it all works, but just through God's word, it's like the Holy Spirit just pressed upon me in that moment. It said, Michael, are you going to trust me? And I think that's where we are right now as a, as a culture. I think that's where we are as a church family right now. So just sit in that thought right now. Just take some time to talk to Jesus because he's asking every one of us through his word today, like, are you going to trust Jesus? Are you going to trust his rule and reign over your life? What's going on with you financially? What's going on with you relationally? What's going on with you academically? What's going on with you vocationally? Are we going to abdicate, lay aside the, the rule and reign of our lives and commit ourselves to Jesus? Father in heaven, I pray that for every one of us today. I pray that for myself specifically, just that in my own life, as I wrestle with, with what this looks like practically, I confess there's fear around it. And so I pray that you would meet us in that place of fear and that you would meet us in that place of worry. That through the power of your word, through the power of the body of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would be reminded that you are, you are the ultimate throne, Jesus. That you are the king of kings. There's no one that's greater. There's no one that's more powerful. There's no one that knows better what to do in these moments than you. And so help us. Help us to entrust ourselves to you.